Hey, everybody, welcome to the sermon. And actually, first, just a little shout out to Barb Newland, who moved away from us a couple of months ago, but I know watches us uh, from afar. Um, and it's really good to see you, Barb. Welcome to worship. So I switch now from Barb Newland to Karl Marx, of all people. He's best known for his first main writing, which was called Das Kapital uh, in German. And uh, he, of course, was the social philosopher who looked at the use of capital in the world at his time. He'd be kind of on the left end of the spectrum of observers of financial capital. I guess maybe his opposite would be somebody like, what, Milton Freeman, who in, in the last century was kind of Mr. Anti-Keynesian and uh, all about the absolute free movement of capital in the markets and monetary policy and uh, all of that cool stuff. So as far as Marx might be to the left, uh, Friedman might be to the right. Then there's another really well-known economist who'd probably drop somewhere in the middle. His name is Jesus Christ, savior of the world. He talks about capital a lot as well. He has tons of parables that touch on money and material things, but he actually talks in considerable detail about uh, economic theory-based things, including into today's gospel lesson. Before we launch into that, though, little sidetrack to just think about for a little bit. When, when you think about the, kind of the institutional church and things that it has focused on and taught about the most over the centuries, what comes to mind, and it might be multiple answers, but one of the answers is sex. Right, the church has talked a lot about and tried to legislate and control and at times has even killed people over issues related to human sexuality. And, and the church should speak to matters of morality and how we handle our relationships with each other. But the reason I, I mention that is when you think about all the energy that has gone into it, compared to how often Jesus actually talked about it. So... Think of a, only a partial list, uh, celibacy, really important in big parts of the church. Jesus talked about it once for one verse, not even a way that's applicable to its usage in, in later centuries. How often did he talk about LGBTQ issues? Zero times. How often did he talk about premarital sex? Zero times. How many times did he talk about adultery? Two or three times, interestingly, when he talks about it most personally and conclusively, it's when he saves the woman who's about to be stoned for having committed adultery. And what does he say to her? Does, does nobody condemn you? Neither do I. It's not like he lets any of us off scot-free, but he's very specific there to say, I'm not going to condemn you for it. We're not legislating it. We're just... Looking at it in terms of a matter of balance, we've talked about that subject so much in the church, and Jesus focused on it so little. And now we're to today's gospel lesson, because here's something that Jesus talked about a lot. He talked about capital. He talked about material things in our lives. He, he, he talked about money, and he also talked about things that are capital and aren't just financial, are our, our spiritual capital, our relational capital, our time capital. He talked about all of those things in extensive detail. And especially when it comes to money and economic capital, as much as he talked about it, the church hardly ever does. We become very silent when those issues come up. Why is that? A lot of explanations, 
But one explanation might just be the reality that why would the church be any different than life and so many of our other relationships? In other words, and I hope this is not your experience, I just know it's a lot of people's experiences, think how hard it is for couples sometimes to talk about money because there are differing opinions, differing priorities, different knowledge levels, different confidence levels, and that sets off different power levels and manipulations and deep resentments and ultimately many times an inability to communicate at all. Think of how often adult kids want their, adult, their, their aging parents to talk something about their financial plans and, and the parents just won't hear of it, they won't talk about it. And it goes the other way, think how often parents are trying to teach their kids something uh, uh, about money and, and yet it very quickly becomes about kind of parental control as well and sometimes manipulation of their kids, maybe when their kids are 10, Sadly, sometimes when their kids are 45 as well. In other words, we human beings, we, we have a hard time talking about capital. And, and it's true in the church like it's true in a lot of other places in life. So what does Jesus say to us about capital in today's gospel lesson? Let me take one more little digression into something else that Jesus talks about on the same subject. But first, with a little statistics from, from our, our contemporary world. So I, I know we've talked in, in sermons in past years uh, about which income groups give the most proportionally to charitable causes of any sort. And what do you think the answer to that is? And the most recent stats I saw on that uh, from... Uh, about three years before the pandemic started, was that uh, people who earn forty-five dollars to $55,000 adjusted gross income on their tax returns, they give 4% to charities of any sort. And, and that's the highest number, and then it begins to drop, bottoms out at just over 2% for people earning AGI, $100,000 to $250,000. How much do you have to be making before you get back to the 4% level? You have to be five to ten million dollars AGI before you get back to and then above the four percent level. So, on a percentage giving basis, for at least ninety-nine percent of us, the highest giving level is at one of the lower income levels compared to all those higher levels, and that's true. However, an empiricist might say, well, that might be true, but what's also true is that somebody who's giving 2% of 250000 is given you know, more than 4% of somebody who's making 50000 That would also be true, which is maybe more important in, say, God's eyes. And now this gets us to Jesus, who talks about these things in specific detail. Where does he talk about that in specific detail? Holy Week. He's sitting outside the temple. A poor widow drops her two coins in. And what does he say? She gave more than all these people are putting in large amounts because she gave out of her poverty everything she had for that day. They give out of their abundance. To Jesus, sacrificial giving in high amounts is a spiritual, amazing moment. And so now think a little bit of your own experiences and, and whether it's financial or time uh, or whatever is really important to you, what percentage of that do you give beyond yourself? This is a spiritual great good, something for us all to pursue.
But, but now work your way back to today's gospel lesson. In, in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus runs off kind of that consecutive stream of things. What, what credit is it to you if you love others who are just loving in, re, in return? Even sinners do that, he says. What, what credit is to you if you do good to others, if they're doing good to you in return? Even sinners do that. And then uh, kind of most surprisingly said, what good is it if you lend to others who lend back to you? Even sinners do that. Even sinners lend hoping to receive as much back again. In other words, he's talking, he's talking about predatory lending practices, wanting to get a 100% interest rate. That's super relevant in our world today. Now, of course, in our world, lending is probably ultimately a social good. And I don't think Jesus would contest that, but I think we'd all agree that, that predatory lending is a bad thing. But, but when is that? Is that just when it's a super high interest rate? Is it when someone is, is tempted uh, by a vacation or an education or, or it's not even temptation. They just need to pay the car repair bill or they just need to pay the rent and, and so they, they pay an interest rate they can't uh, ever easily return. What, what constitutes true predatory lending? Now you might say, John, what are you talking about this for? Well, I'm talking about it because Jesus talks about it. I mean, he talks about it a lot, and, and we in the church don't because we in the world don't. And Jesus kept talking about it because he knew we'd be healthier if we did talk about it. But let me talk about it in a good way, actually two really cool, positive examples. In other words, I think it's really easy to get discouraged and, and to think, um, it's really hard for me to share generously of anything that's precious to me, but I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. But there's no way I could ever change the world around me. And see, that's, that's not true. And let me give you a really good example of how when we as the people of God uh, just push, the, push it out a little bit, it, it changes the world. So 25, no, 24 years ago at this point, this congregation had some reserves. We weren't using them. One of our urban partners, Florist Avenue Lutheran Church, had their, their furnace fail. It was going to cost $10,000 to replace it. A lot of money then, a lot of money now. And uh, they couldn't do it, but we had the capital. And we loaned it to them with an interest-free loan. And they took four years at $2,500 a year to pay it back, but they eventually paid it back, which they were very proud of. And we were, we were super proud of them. And they remained in that building for another 16 years after that point, and now there's a congregation in that building uh, that is a great fit uh, for that community, and good ministry happens. Bread of Healing at the Free Clinic has been in that building for 15 years at this point, a great ministry in that community. In other words, that, that $10,000 loan so long ago continues to pay amazing capital returns, at least in, in human terms. Uh, and we've done that multiple times as a congregation, used our capital to help other organizations who didn't have as much, uh, to buy a safe van for the Springdale House residents, uh, to buy a walk-in cooler at the Waukesha Food Pantry, to buy a, or to help buy at least a van uh, that the Waukesha Food Pantry can use for its collections. I mean, these are good uses of our capital, best one of all. Rutilio Grande, our rural community in El Salvador, we help there with scholarships, education, long-term investments, and technology, long-term investment. But our, our partner to our south, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in New Berlin, the whole time we've been doing that in Rutilio Grande, they've been doing microloans. 
They started at $50 a year per, per household. Now they're up to $100. And, and that farming community has been transformed because they've gone from growing corn and chickens to corn and rice and chickens and hogs and dairy cows and, and selling the milk for those cows and making cheese from those cows. And, and um, uh, you can just see the ripple effects in, in prosperity in that community and in, in the confidence of that community uh, to use those gifts well. Uh, Clark Varon from our congregation is super involved in microloans in, in East Africa and making money available to people who, when, when given uh, the resources, are, are great at utilizing them. So that's not been a horribly difficult thing for us. We've been able to nudge it forward a little bit, and we've been able to do that in a way that's been a, a blessing to us and to the people with whom we shared it. How can you share something that's really important to you without pulling strings, uh, without being manipulative, without, and also without being used? These, these are hard questions. These are the things we pray about. But we can do it, people of God. We can do it. And that's, that's where Jesus ends today's section of the Sermon on the Mount. I think what he's getting at is when we use the word measure as a verb, like when we're measuring each other and what we've given or contributed, that, that, that ends up not turning out very well for us because we compete in ways that we, that we shouldn't. We don't collaborate in the ways that we should. should. And, and we manipulate each other in ways that are damaging to all of us. But, but Jesus doesn't use measure as a verb. He uses it as a noun. And he says, when, when, you, when you can just love and when you can just practice mercy and when you can just forgive and when you can just be good without needing to be thanked for it and without pulling strings as a part of it, your most high God loves that. And, and your most high God uh, fills you with rich measure. Filled, packed down, overflowing. Imagine a, a measuring cup just packing the brown sugar into it and it just bubbles out. There's so much of it, so much goodness. This is what our God shares with us. It's what we're capable of sharing with each other and our world. For this week, don't measure. Don't measure in your relationships. Don't measure capital the way you always do. Uh, even just bring it down a notch or two. Stop using it as a verb. And instead, use measure as a noun, this thing that God richly shares with us and gives us in our better moments an amazing capacity to share with the world. What you do do does matter, people of God. Trust it. Live it. Hey?